The holidays are just around the corner, and it's time to be thinking about getting those perfect gifts for family, friends, or maybe even for yourself. We have the perfect opportunity for you to take care of that shopping list and support ACB Media at the same time. It's the ACB Media Holiday Auction. Join us on Sunday, November 27th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, on Zoom or on ACB Media. You can bid on great, unique items like handmade crafts, collectibles, technology, and food including those wonderful baked goods and a whole lot more. If you want to get a jump start on things, the Sneak-A-Peak Appetizer Auction is also back this year on November 25th and 26th. Watch your email for more details or contact Leslie Spoon. Her email address is lesliespoon at cfl.rr.com. We'll see you Sunday, November the 27th at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific at the ACB Media Holiday Auction. Happy bidding! The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good afternoon, ACB community. You are listening to ACB's Home Garden and Agriculture monthly program. We come to you on the second Saturday of each month with uh, garden, homestead, and agriculture-related topics. My name is Marge, and my co-facilitator is Deborah. We have a special guest today, uh, Dave, who's going to be talking with us about winter gardening. But uh, first off, Deborah, what's happening in your garden? Lots of ice and frost. <laughs> so just about a week ago, I still had calendula blooming. Uh, it was still looking kind of nice out there. And then the cold really hit. It got down in the teens and it's pretty, pretty cold out there. But I did just look a little bit ago. My pansies are still blooming in my green stock, which I find really remarkable. Those are tough little flowers. And I still have some greens that and the green stalk that are under a floating row cover type thing. And they're a little protected and they are still alive. So that makes me really happy. And um, I do want to say that I adopted a new friend. I have a, a new rabbit. Her name is Sugar. She came from Ruby Rabbit Rescue. We had a guest from that organization on uh, quite a while ago. And my rabbits are working rabbits. They eat up my prunings and they make nice little beans for fertilizer and their hay is great mulch. So um, I'm very happy to have two little bunnies now. So what is going on in your neck of the woods, Marge? Well, of course, I'm in a very different climate from yours. What a shock you had this week, uh, for sure. Not that we don't get shocks here in uh, coastal Georgia. We, we do. We had a visit from Nicole this week, but uh, fortunately, the winds didn't damage anything, um, at least in our yard. Uh, made a mess. There's pine needles covering absolutely everything. And uh, not, not too much rain um, for us to, to cope with just a nice amount. Lots of vegetables growing for me. I'm, I'm worried about food prices. So I went a little, um, 
a little out of bounds uh, this uh, this fall in planting. Our window for planting here is is October, and most everything has gone in. And there will be, I don't know, it's about eighteen different vegetable crops, um, a little nuts. I hope, and they're all doing very well. So, I hope uh, as harvesting times come that that we can, um, the two of us can manage all of this. But uh, we bought a fresh load of compost. Um, locally this fall and that has uh made made a big impact on how well everything is doing so um dave and his knowledge is in part to to thank for that got me going on thinking we need to do uh better on our compost than what we're doing here in the backyard so thanks dave and um that's it for me for the moment um deborah you can uh introduce our guest Okay, so I'm very happy to let people know that I have a fellow master gardener. Um, Dave is an advanced master gardener. We are both master gardeners with the Ada County Extension Agency through the University of Idaho. I'm a continuing, and Dave is very much an advanced master gardener. He talked with us uh, last year about um, composting, and that was a great call. I I will let people know, no, he is not blind, but he is very knowledgeable about gardening. And he is here to talk to us about winter gardening. Dave, thank you so much for joining us today. And tell us, what are you doing in your winter garden? So I'm really excited. Uh, I got into winter gardening years ago and uh, found it to be one of the best times of the year. Um, and I, I, I'm envious of Marge, though, with the nice weather you have down there because I have snow out on the ground right now. But so my winter gardening started years ago. Um, when I heard a little bit about it and I made what is called a low tunnel, it's a PVC frame made out of half-inch PVC, kind of A-shaped, and I uh, put uh, clear plastic over it so the sun could come through, planted some things out there, and then we had um, in our area what the locals called snowmageddon. We had snow and snow and snow, and it collapsed my poor A-frame down to flat as oh, could no. be. Yeah. Yes, I remember that year. That was quite a year. Yeah. Yeah. Quite a year to start. And, and, so, and then it rained and snowed, and it formed like an ice on top of this thing that was probably eight inches thick. So February came around, and I lifted the ice off, and I reached under there and propped up the the frame thinking that, well, at least it will warm up the soil so I can plant earlier for my summer crops. And my significant other came by and she says, you've got stuff growing up there clear to the top. And this was mid to late February. And so by March, we were harvesting greens out of the uh, low tunnel. And so that got me into it. Uh, so I bought a couple of books, uh, Nikki Jabbar, um, spelled N-I-O, I've got the book here, um, 
if I can find it. N-I-K-I-G-A-B-O-U-R. And she lives in Nova Scotia. So she's quite a bit north, has some pretty cold winters. And she does this uh, winter gardening. And then Elliot Coleman has several good books out about winter gardening and four-season gardening. I don't know if you can get them on uh, books on tape or anything, but something to uh, check for. Good resources. So, Dave, um, let's back up just a bit. And how about this year? So how did you start your, uh, like, how did you prepare your bed? And um, tell us a bit more about constructing um, your tunnel that you use to grow in. Okay, so my beds, well, I start planting indoors under grow lights in about mid-August for some of these uh, mostly greens. I grow mostly greens in the winter. The fruiting vegetables don't grow in in our season. It's cold. So you're growing like? Uh, kale, uh, spinach, cabbage, things like that, lettuce. Yeah, kale, arugula. um, Several of the Asian greens grow through the winter too. And so I've tried two different things. I have a couple of um, what they call cold frames, which is a wooden structure with a slanted roof slanted towards, uh, downward towards the south. So it gets more sun and has a clear plastic cover on it. Um, I used one that is a twin pollen polycarbonate uh, thing that is a little bit more insulated and it's hinged. So I can lift up that thing and reach in and harvest my greens. And um, most all of the stuff uh, I grow is greens. You can grow Uh, Some turnips and radishes and things through the winter, too, that grow in the winter and actually go well below freezing and still grow okay. And so I start most of my uh, greens or the things I'm growing in the winter in mid-August. And then I do a succession planting where every two weeks I'll plant a new crop. Um, because by no, what is it, late uh, November, we start getting here in Boise, Idaho, a uh, less than 10 hours of sun. And so the plants don't grow anymore, uh, most of those with less than 10 hours of sun. So I start um, several different groups. Uh, some of them, I, I want enough to where when they stop growing, I can harvest through that less than 10-hour season, which is uh, November to mid-February or early February in our area. You can look it up online and see where your daylight hours go and uh, uh, when's the best time to plant. Um But anyway, so I start planting them, succession planting, putting them out. And the ones that mature uh, early, I can harvest and eat. And the ones that are matured about the time they stop growing, I can harvest through the winter. 
And then the immature ones start growing again really good mid-February. And so after February, I have a lot of them growing and coming up and looking really good so I can harvest uh, them early, early spring. Um, really so, interesting. When you had the, the tunnels that first year and, and uh, the, everything collapsed on top, uh, what you had planted in the fall is what grew after in February when you pulled the tunnels back up off of everything. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. So, so, okay. so the so things it, it you was still alive under all that. Yeah. And, and it amazed me that plants are so uh, good about surviving. Uh, but they they came back, they grew, they started growing when the daylight hours got more than 10 hours a day. And mm -hmm. they started growing and I had things way earlier uh, that were planted in the fall. I had them harvesting way earlier in the spring than I would have if I'd planted them in the spring. So some of that mm -hmm. timing yeah. is, is important to start them early Get them out there. You can harvest some in the fall. You can harvest some early, early spring because they're going to come back. They're going to start growing again mid-February and start coming back. And uh, so, yeah, that's some really good stuff. So when you're growing, uh, you're still planting then until the end of November. You're going out there and you are still planting every two weeks until the end of November? Yes, yes. Okay. Are you fertilizing too, or are you just planting? Yes. Uh, because you are growing year-round, you're using more of the nutrients, so you need to fertilize a little bit more um, when you're growing year-round So because you're using more nutrients. So I add a little bit more fertilizer. Okay. And if we have somebody who's maybe living in an apartment who maybe just has a little tiny patch of cement or a little patio they can grow on, do you have a suggestion for a way that person can can grow in the winter? Uh, yes, I've done that because <laughs> my garden is, is it's kind of sad. It's kind of a perimeter of my backyard. And my neighbors all have big trees that shade out my garden, so I don't get as good a gardening light as I would like to have. So I grow a lot on my patio, and I've found that a lot of those crops that I grow on my patio, I can start, you know, different times of the year and grow different things. And I can drag them into my garage if it's going to get really cold so they don't freeze, and then take them back out there. Uh, when the sun's out and it's a little bit warmer, and they seem to do pretty good. I've also okay. done a thing where I've taken some of my plants and put a um, row cover cloth over them or the uh, uh, clear plastic over them with the tomato cage in the pot so that kind of protects them from the cold and gives them a little sunlight through that. And they they do pretty good with that. 
I I am doing that right now for the first time. I have a green stock with uh, a row cover on it. That it's a row cover that's sold by the company, and it I have pat soy and mizuna and a few different greens in there, and they are still alive even with 18 degrees this week. I'm I'm quite impressed. So it, it's amazing how much protection just even a, a row cover can provide. Yeah, a lot of those, um, the tatsoi, a lot of the Asian greens uh, survive pretty cold weather. And mm-hmm. you, can't, you can't harvest them when you, they're frozen or they'll kind of turn brown and mushy. Uh, but yeah. you wait till the sun warms them up a little bit and you can harvest them then. Arugula also, it'll survive way cold so try that too and and those are really good healthy greens a lot of the mustards are also very healthy well i am not going to monopolize i there are lots of questions to ask you marge do you have any questions before we take calls well just a a couple of comments um one thing is that thinking about um, winter gardening in really cold areas that if you look at your areas that might be in your yard or your patio where it might be a little more protected uh, from the cold if you plant on a patio and it's and you've got pots up against your house they're going to be kept a lot warmer than they would be um, otherwise um, and, and trying for a southern exposure in the winter is, is, is especially good. And this, this whole thing of um, the 10 hours of day sunlight, I have seen in action uh, for, for many years. What you can do is look up online, um, you look up sunrise and sunset times, and then for your area, so wherever you are in the country, and you will get um, at least what I got was really nice text of different months and, and showing um, throughout the month as the, the time shifted. And um, it's something I, I definitely keep in mind. Not absolutely everything stops growing right here anyway in my climate, but most things do stop. And you wonder what's wrong and, you know, I've not fertilized. And finally, when I learned about that, and Elliot Coleman is somebody who does talk about this. Uh, it's where I learned about it. It's called the Persephone period. It really makes sense, uh, given the uh, mythology about Persephone going down um, to the, the darkness for a certain part of the year. Uh, so that's what we call this time when we have less than 10 hours a day of, um, of sunlight. So it's something to, to look up and learn about. Um, for anybody who does want to do some winter gardening, know that there'll be that period. And depending on where you are in the country, ours here is about six weeks long. So we don't have a, a lot of it um, to, to go through, but it starts in early December. So it, it makes a big difference. Um, so just something to uh learn about and and keep in mind the Persephone period. So March, when you are growing your winter garden there in Georgia, uh, it's going to get going and you know in December and January it's pretty much going to go dormant. And And we'll have our cold. And then restart. Yeah, 
Yeah, and we have our versions mm-hmm. of cold days too, below freezing, at least half a dozen. Um, and even you know, for, for us here, lettuce keeps going. Nothing, nothing is bothered mm-hmm. um, in most of our cold nights, most of the years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, um, Darcy, um, we have Darcy handling. Darcy is our Zoom host. And then we have um, Deb is streaming. And we have Danette is um, doing Clubhouse. So how about if we start with Darcy? And Darcy, you can hand it off to Danette as you wish. And um, do we have any hands up? Any questions? Yes, we have. um we have one. We have uh, Musi. I apologize if I'm saying your name incorrectly, but uh, our hand is up. Hi. Yes. Hello. Um, now, I know that I can look it up, <laughs> but I was hoping you could talk a little more about that cold frame. How far off the ground should it be? And how do you slant it to get uh, the southern exposure, like just 10 degrees or, um, you know? the cold frame I'm interested in. Yes, so my cold frame is about 18 inches tall in the front and about 30 inches tall in the back. So I don't know, and and four foot by four foot. And so I don't know what um, ratio that is or what slant that is, Um, but it's towards uh, slanted towards the south always. And it, it uh, with the um, lift up tunnel there or lift up uh, lid, it makes is it, it plexiglass? really. I'm sorry, is it plexiglass? Uh, it's, it, it's similar to plexiglass, it's polycarbonate, is oh, what well, they okay. call it. Uh, okay. A twin, twin wall polycarbonate is what I bought. Okay. And I will have to say that I've tried the two and I have a remote thermostat in or not thermostat uh thermometer yes thank you in (laughs) each one of the the cold frame and the low tunnel and the cold frames are about fifty dollars each because wood is and wood's a lot more expensive now and i think i made them out of maybe two inch by uh ten inch boards and so three on the back, two on the front. So whatever that equals out there. Mm-hmm. And th- then that oh, hinge. Uh, and I, I'm sorry, um, how deep is the soil? How deep is the, is the frame? So I just put these right on top of the ground, which is ground level in my area. You can put them on a covered bed if you want. The covered or, or raised beds, I should say, um, absorb a little more heat, so they're better in the winter because they get a little bit more sunshine around the base. But mine are just right on the ground. Ah. Uh, that uh, four foot by four foot uh, lid lifts up, so they're very easy to harvest from. Mm-hmm. And if it gets too warm, I can lift them real easy and allow a little bit coolness because if they get too warm, things will go to seed and, and uh, uh, not be very tasty. So, okay. yeah, so, so yeah, that, um, but I will, I would like to say the cold frames, 
Each of them cost me about $50 a piece to make. They're very handy, very convenient. At the end of the season, I can lift them up and put them in the shed there. Uh, but the uh, low tunnel plastic and PVC or semi-transparent plastic and PVC was only like 10 or $15 to make um for eight foot of it mm -hmm. and so it was quite a bit cheaper it doesn't keep it quite as warm uh but for the difference they worked as good and they're quite a bit less expensive i have one more question uh, uh, how do you water do you water or just let it grow um i so I disconnect my hose in the winter time here in Boise it gets pretty cold and so I take out a bucket of water and water them, you know, that I fill from the faucet inside uh, because I don't want water running out there. Uh, but most of the time, if it's going to be above freezing and it's raining, I'll open up the lids and let uh, our Mother Nature water them for us. Uh, we don't get much water and rain in the summer here but we get a lot in the winter so i hardly have to water it at all in the winter here in boise area okay thank you so much so, uh-huh thank you for calling so dave what kind of wood are you using um i okay. use just pine and i put just a little strip um like a two by two inch strip of cedar on the bottom where it goes against the soil so it won't rot as quick and hopefully they will last longer. Um, but yeah, okay. I just use pine because I'm thrifty, <laughs> cheap. <laughs> That's great. I'm assuming yeah. that coal frames would be available as pre-made, you know, um, through Amazon or, you know, other garden gardening sources that you could buy coal frames. And it seems like this angle that you're talking about would be important to look for and that it has a lid that you can open would be important to look for if you're looking for a pre-made one yes gardener yeah, supply <laughs> yes gardener supply has some pre-made uh, many of your local nurseries may have them and they're really convenient really easy <laughs> to take up put down Dave, do you think a cold frame would provide enough protection to put con to put on cement and put container plants inside the cold frame? Uh, yes, I do, because uh, the cement may attract a little bit more warmth from the sun, and so you put them out there, and uh, and it's easy to find, you know, and lift mm -hmm. up and and. There, I've seen some other um, outdoor things where those wireframe uh, um, structures, bookshelf type things, uh, you can get and you can buy some uh, zippered plastic uh, shelf or uh, plastic things that go around them, and you can put several layers of those shelves on there and several layers of plants in those. Okay, yeah, so that would be a good option for somebody who maybe doesn't have a lot of space and um, has a patch of cement or pavement. It, it might be worth. Uh, 
I, I like the idea of, of using a pot with a tomato cage and uh, using and putting a cover around that too. I hadn't thought of that. I do know that it's important for the foliage not to touch um, whatever you are using to protect because that it will conduct the cold to that and it if it's plastic, yeah. from what I understand, yeah. Cloth would be but, okay, but yeah. it's plastic can be very damaging to plants. I know I've done it. Yeah, if, <laughs> if, yes. it, if it touches it, yes. Um, okay, so um, Danette and, and Darcy, do we have any other hands raised? We don't currently in Zoom. No, okay. Clubhouse, neither. Okay. No, none in Clubhouse. Um, Thank you. Okay, we did have a couple of questions that came to us um, through a list serve. I know Roberta had some questions, and I might give her a little time to come on if she's listening today. If she doesn't, I'll try to ask some of those questions later. But if you're listening today, Roberta, feel free to call and ask Dave your questions. So, um, Dave, you are not using any heat at all. You're, I've heard of using a heat cable in uh, cold frames before and kind of making a hot bed with various different techniques. Have, have you ever done that? Uh, no, I'm fairly thrifty, so I haven't used any heat at all. And I found with the right plants and the southern exposure, that you really don't need it. I do have a friend that has a, and you guys would love this. Uh, she's here in Boise, so Deborah Allen might be able to get a walkthrough on her. Um, uh, she has quite a large uh, greenhouse, and she has some tropical birds in there, uh, so they're making noises all the time. She has a little... A fountain or bubbling stream in there and she says this is such a wonderful place I just come out here in the winter time it's warm it's beautiful the sounds are great and I have a little glass of wine to go <laughs> with it so, yeah. so that's something that um, with the sounds and stuff like that the birds and things mm -hmm. and the warmth and the just the humidity in a greenhouse you guys would love it. I, like I say, with yeah, some yeah. of the winter gardening, I go to, um, I was going to say, there's a lot of really nice places to go and uh, see, or not see, sorry, experience just the warmth mm -hmm. of the indoor greenhouses and things. And, uh, but I go, I go to her local garden supply place. It has a really nice greenhouse indoors. And wintertime, they have a lot of the uh, plants growing for Christmas season and stuff. Oh, and yeah. So you, you bring up a really good point that um, there are many ways to enjoy winter gardening beyond the cold frame. Um, and even if you don't want to grow it yourself, you can go to a, a local greenhouse or um, you can 
have a greenhouse, um, but there's also indoor gardening. People can do some indoor gardening. Do you have any experience with that, Dave? Yes. Yes, I do. I love indoor gardening. Uh, so to grow very big stuff, you need grow lights. Uh, and some of the frames that you've put above them and stuff, but you can be as simple as microgreens, which are greens that are grown, uh, small plants that are grown in either soil or they use a mat-like thing. They, they grow up two to four inches and they cut them off with scissors and eat them in their salad. And they're very nutritious, very good. And there's even sprouts. Sprouts are really, really good. Um, beneficial uh, things to, to them. And uh, so, yeah, anyway, the indoor gardening, I have a book, um, Grow Your Garden Produce Indoors Year-Round, that is really good. It's by Elizabeth Millard, um, and it goes through sprouts and, and uh, oh gosh, what was it? Uh, sprouts, microgreens, vegetables, shoots, mushrooms mushrooms you can grow indoors real easy and herbs so there's a lot of things you can do indoors uh with the microgreens and shoots and sprouts and stuff and i have one of my um sprouting things that i use is kind of a disc or bowl like shaped things and you can stack them up in the one above drains into the one below and then it captures everything on the bottom. And so you have to rinse them off once or twice a day to keep them moist and put them back in there and they grow uh, really nice. And, and this one has um, like three or four layers. So you can start them at different times because they take about two weeks to mature enough to eat. And so you can start them at different times and have them always available to eat at different times. And also so that's at different stages depending on where they are. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's where did you get that? Um, I can't remember. Just a minute, I'm gonna run in the other room and grab one oh, of them no, and see if it okay, that's, see if it has that's, a that's name. Okay. It was good. online, yeah, it was a green okay. round one about ten or twelve inches diameter. I've seen some okay. really nice ones uh that are made with just a like one quart canning jar where you put mm -hmm. a cheesecloth over the top and a rubber band, or you can buy a lid with a screen on it, and you have to water this once or twice a day shake it around to get everything um, moistened, dump out the water. You want to get out most all of the water so it doesn't mold in the bottom and set it back up and do that once or twice a day. And it grows some really delicious greens. You can get some uh, bland, you can get different ones, uh, spicy Oh, yeah, ones. there are lots of sprouting choices out there, yeah. So yes. um, I just wanted to let uh, Danette and Darcy know if we have any hands that come up, let us know and we, you can We do actually have um, okay. Roberta, who I think you were looking for earlier, All right. has her Roberta. hand up. Very, okay, Roberta. Hi. I'm here. 
Thanks. Thanks. This yeah. is this is great. I live in uh, Zone Five Six in Central Michigan, and um, I had a couple of questions. One was had to do with um, wintering over plants like begonias or strawberries or uh, you know things that you would bring in, bring the container in to the house after, like now when we've had a killing frost, then I would bring those in. But what I wasn't clear on is how, what kind of moisture do these, do the plants need when they're dormant? Um, make sure they keep moist, not too wet because they will mold or rot if they're too wet. But, um, because I've brought some in and not watered them and they died because uh, they dried out. And so they need some moisture in there. A lot of the begonias or flowers, I haven't dealt with much. Most of mine have been vegetable stuff. Um, I started this year for the first time. And Deborah Allen, uh, you, you'll appreciate this. I'm doing a presentation this I think this month, the end of this month, on mason bees, I started raising mason bees, which is a fairly docile, nice little bee that's very early, and <laughs> and they don't sting. And so I started raising those, and I've always only raised things I can eat, and so now I'm having to find flowers that they're going to pollinate or get pollen from in the spring so i'm starting to get into flowers a little bit more but i don't know much about them that's so, interesting Roberta, are they do you know if they're fibrous for begonias or tuberous um are the flowers little bitty flowers or are they really big like cushiony flowers i don't on know the begonias i don't know okay, have they not flowered um, I never, I've just, I, I've, I've wintered, I bought begonia, I bought a begonia plant at a, a you know, a garden store last year. Okay. And wintered it over this, over t 2021 to 22. And only part of it grew again this year. And I just didn't know if I let it get too dry okay. or. Be yeah. Cause if there are two different kinds of begonias, there's a tuberous begonia it has um, tubers on it, and and it the flowers are typically pretty large, almost like a marigold. Um, okay. There, and then there's a fibrous begonia, which has little bitty flowers. They're they're much smaller, and the fibrous begonia I've grown. I've I've brought them inside, and they are. It's a nice house plant. I make a house plant out of it. Oh. Um, the, yeah, the tuberous begonia, you treat like you would a dahlia, where you pull up the tubers in the fall, and then oh. you replant oh. them in the spring. Oh, okay. I did not do that. All right. That may be so, what happened. Yeah. So, yeah. So, that is, is, it just depends on what kind you have, too. Okay. But yeah. Oh. Okay, great. Um, if you get a nice winter, the tubers might make it over, but I kind of doubt it. Yeah. <laughs> They're pretty yeah. sensitive. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I have a second question. Um, 
I mean, first I want to comment about the Mason B. I have Mason B hotels all over my yard and it's an absolute awesome Mason bees are, we have uh, 467 species of native bees in Michigan. Um, oh. And the Masons are one type of bee, but they're so, and they're so, they're, you're right. They're tiny. They don't sting unless you pinch them. Um, they don't, they don't have a hive. And so they have nothing to defend. They just leave you alone and they, they're wonderful little workers. So um, that's great that you're getting into supporting the Mason bees. Um, my other question had to do with asparagus. I have an asparagus bed that I put in. Uh, well, it's been two seasons now. So um, I put it in in 2021. And I'm wondering about, it's in a raised bed. And there's probably about, I would say about three inches depth from the top edge of the bed to the level of the dirt that the asparagus is in. And I'm wondering how much mulch to put on the surface. How, how I would, yeah, I would put, oh, six inches of straw or hay on top of them. Um, I've tried them here in Boise in the first year. It got down to 30 degrees in the winter and, and they didn't come back. They didn't survive. Uh, mm. And I mulched them a little bit, um, but they say, Put them in pretty deep, six inches deep, and then put in six inches of um, uh, mulch over the top. Uh, usually a straw is one of the best. It doesn't have as okay. much weed as maybe a hay or something. And and, and what about um, if I don't have access to straw, can I use wood chips or is that too heavy? Uh, no, wood chips uh, are usually not too bad. Uh, okay. They do pretty good. And as the spring warms up, you kind of spread them out there. And they really protect the soil from drying out too much. And they're pretty good. And then you can pile okay. them back up or put over more of them in the fall when it starts to get cold. Okay. Wonderful. And also, Wonderful. also with the wood chips, uh, a really interesting tip I tried a couple of years ago is there's a service called Chip Drop. So the arborists that are cutting down trees and chopping them up have to pay to dump those wood chips. And you can sign up on a website called chipdrop.com, put in your zip code, and they will bring the wood chips to your house and drop them in your driveway for free. Um, when I did it, they were pretty slow. And somebody says, well, you can put an online tip uh, for them. And the guys will go to your house first because they're going to first one there gets the tip. And so uh, <laughs> chipdrop.com. They bring them in. They might bring in a pretty big batch. So <laughs> your neighbors and, and uh, relatives might want to come in and help haul some of them off. But I, yeah, I got some and they were fabulous. That's a wonderful service. My, I live in the city and it's not an option for me, but 
my sister-in-law and brother live about six miles from me. And that's, I have, they do chip drop and I, they have more wood chips than they know what to do with. And so that's where I get all my wood mulch. The problem with the, it is not um, considered beautiful. It's not <laughs> like the bark you get from home Depot. It, it's, it's not a landscaping quality. It, it's a little bit of everything and it, it, it's not real pretty. So yes. and for people and who are looking for aesthetics, they, they might want to pay for the, and there's no guarantee. There's, <laughs> there's no guarantee what products are in it in terms. It could be yeah. oak. It could be pine. It could be black walnut. It could be, you have no idea. The only thing we were yeah. able to do was to specify no black walnut. And they made sure that there was no black walnut in the, in the, when they dumped yeah. it for us. His, but his black walnut can stop your stuff from growing. Yes. Oh yeah. Thank you, Roberta. Thank you. Thank you very much. And um, I appreciate you calling and asking your questions. Dave, she brought up a thought. Um, I don't know why, but part of winter gardening is taking care of your summer garden. So I'm thinking about my yard right now. I have um, sunflowers. I have all kinds of birds. I have lots of flowers. I have various things left over from this summer that I am just leaving until this spring. And I know it's kind of controversial. I've heard both. I've heard people say, oh, you should, you should clean that all up and move it out in the fall so that you can be ready to plant in the spring. And um, I'm kind of in the school of, no, I'm going to leave it all in place and clean it up this spring because it's habitat and um, food for some of the critters I like to attract to my yard. So tell me, what, what are your thoughts on that? What, what are your thoughts about a fall cleanup in the yard? So I clean up somewhat and compost what I can. My neighbor has a very large sycamore tree that drops leaves all winter long, and so they, they're on the ground quite a bit, so I have some of the stuff, and I do say that, that you know, the um, bugs and stuff, the good beneficial bugs need a place to live, and so that gives them some, but mostly what I do is I do um, uh, uh, um, cover crops. So I'm growing in the winter a lot of cover crops. So I clean off the soil, most of it, compost what I can. Anything that's diseased, I put in. We have a city compost thing here where they have a, like a trash bin and you put stuff in there and they haul it off and then you can go pick it up after they compost. It makes it really easy work for composting. Um, but so I clean off as much as I can. I add my compost over the top to let it kind of work into the soil and I plant cover crops on there, which is another thing, uh, Deborah Allen, um, that we can do another time, cover crops. 
really good subject. And they grow, uh, mine, I plant some that grow throughout the winter. They keep the soil microbes happy and flourishing. And so that's most of mine. I, I, I don't let my ground go dormant at all. Uh, a lot of people do. But I always grow. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So did somebody have, was somebody trying to, March, was that you trying to say something? Uh, no, okay. no. But do, do okay. we have any other questions? We don't currently in any Zoom. Hands? Not currently. Okay. I don't know if we do in Clubhouse I, or not, but. Not in Clubhouse neither. Okay. Okay. I will say that I, I did grow a beautiful crop, cover crop of red clover. Um, at one year and then the next year I had some that Marge uh, Marge sent me the seed. I love that stuff. Marge does not. <laughs> Marge well, does not yeah, love I have a problem with I love this cover stuff. crops. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's our issue here with cover crops is that they grow so well that they root in really deeply and it's very difficult to remove them um, to be able to plant anything else. So my husband has said no more cover crops, and we've done several. So no, he won't. He won't put up with it. So yeah, Marge, I, I'm. Uh, oh, go ahead, Dave. Uh, Marge, what area do you live in, or or what zone? Coastal Georgia, eight B. Okay, so yeah, your stuff doesn't die as well in the winter. No, Ours no. up here, there's only a few things that will survive the winter, um, which is winter rye, winter wheat, yes. mm -hmm. uh, hairy vetch, and Austrian field peas. Yes, so, I've tried yeah. the field peas and the rye. Uh-uh, no, no more. <laughs> okay, well, I let a few of them go to seed. So most of them you have to cut off before they go to seed in the spring. But I let a few go to seed so I don't have to buy more seed each year because I'm mm -hmm. good idea. Yeah, good idea. So um, talking about growing inside, um, because I know we have a lot of people who are interested in um, house plants and, and doing things inside. Winter gardening doesn't have to just be what we eat. It can also be plants that we grow for beauty and for pleasure. So, um, Dave, are, are you uh, much of an indoor plant person? Do you have uh, plants you <laughs> no. grow for pleasure? Um, I do have some. Most of them are pretty hardy because they survived my gardening, but I don't care, take care of my plants inside like I should. I have one from my grandfather that's probably 50 years old. It's a Hoya plant. Another one that's a um, gosh, rubber plant, and they seem to do okay if I remember to water them, but I don't take care of my indoor plants. But I was thinking for the blind people, some of the smells and things they get from indoor plants would be very good for the winter gardening. Well, I'm growing one right now that I don't recommend. It is a fig tree. 
I have a Chicago hardy fig, and supposedly it can grow outside in this zone, but I don't want to risk it. And I'm growing it. It was out all summer. I brought it in this, um, actually just a couple weeks ago. It smells like cat pee, and it's not <laughs> cat pee. It's the plant. Uh, I looked it up. And uh, especially when the sun hits the leaves, oh, my goodness. Uh, it, it, but it's a beautiful, beautiful plant. It, it's absolutely gorgeous. But whew, what a you kind of have to have a strong stomach with it. But I'm curious to know if others are out there who might be listening, if you're an indoor plant person, if you want to call in with some tips or questions, we'd love to hear from you because uh, that's very much part of winter gardening too, is is, um, anything you're growing. By the way, we've got about five minutes remaining. Sure. And okay. certainly that so challenge of indoors would be with the sunlight also of um, having your plants have enough access to winter sun um, on a, a window ledge or near a window with southern exposure um, to be cognizant of that um, because we're, you know, as much affected by that indoors as as outdoors. And it might be that that grow lights are are a better option for um, folks wanting to have some things flourish inside during the winter. Yeah, that 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 is very much a good point. If you want it to keep growing, you you do need grow lights. Well, Dave, it sounds like we're kind of winding down. Um, do you have any final sh- thoughts you want to share before we uh, we wrap up today? Yes, I do. So I've just picked up my little seed sprouter thing that I use, a little round one, and it's called a Seedsmith Sprouter from Kineholtz Products Incorporated. And uh, it seems to be pretty nice. I really like it because you can stack them up and start them at different times. So they're right there. Uh, but one of the major things I'd like to say is stay connected with your gardening friends over the winter. Sometimes it kind of breaks down and you don't do that and you get some, uh, you kind of get out of it. But if you stay connected, you get some inspiration for the other gardening is, what are you planning this year? What new um, seeds are you growing? You know, what new stuff are you growing? And so stay connected with everybody through the winter. Absolutely. Thank you, Dave. Those are wonderful thoughts. Thank you. And I, I, I really want to thank you for coming on again. I hope we can have you again in the future. Um, and I want to thank Danette, Darcy, and Deb. Thank you for your work and your time. Uh, next month, we are talking about making products like cheese with milk with uh, Nella. She is, quite, she is quite the homesteader. Uh, she is a person who is blind and she has some awesome things to talk to us about. Even if you don't want to do it, just hearing her is great. Marge, anything to say? I'm going to let you take us out. 
Well, thank you all for uh, joining us today. We had a good uh, good number of folks on the call. Hope that you've uh, gotten some ideas about uh, how to keep growing things during these cold times that we're heading into right now. So thank you all for listening. <laughs>